My wife recently showed me a picture she had as her phone wallpaper. It was a picture of a turtle. So I asked her why she had this random picture of a turtle as her wallpaper. And she said it was a reminder to slow down. After that, I nodded my head and I said, I need to remember that too. I think we all need to remember this, especially during this busy season. It's so easy to live fast-paced lives, but after investigating this meaningful life of living like Jesus, I have to ask, what are we missing out on by living this way? I found the answer to this question when I bumped into my friend Marcus Privet, and he told me a story of a time when him and another friend by the name of Matt Fitchin, both went on a six-day walk to discover what it would be like to live slowly and intentionally like Jesus. So in this episode, they share their story. With that having been said, you're listening to the Jesus Hacks Podcast. Let's get started. I asked Matt and Marcus what sparked them going on this journey. Matt speaks first, followed by Marcus. It was, I was probably, I think I was 20 years old, um, sophomore year of college, and Marcus had come down to visit. Um, We went to the North Carolina State Fair in Raleigh, and for whatever reason, the group we were with um, was all headed back we decided, even though it was like 45 degrees outside, that we were going to walk back to campus. And um, during that walk, we just got to talking about how nice it is to just slow down in life sometimes. Um, and I honestly can't remember whose idea it was first. I think Marcus um, said, yeah, I- I'm really been praying a lot about this idea of slowing down and what would happen if if we just walked like we're doing right now um and from there that was in october it was an ongoing discussion about should we plan a walk over christmas break and so we decided at right after christmas it actually ended up being new year's we would walk from the capital of our home state Richmond, Virginia, back to our hometown in Chesapeake. I thought, I think it's pretty interesting that you went back to that moment as like the inception of the walk. I, I often go back to the night that we were at IHOP at like two or three in the morning. And I can remember a conversation where we were, this was right when Matt and I were getting to know one another. And we were kind of talking about what it would be like to follow Jesus in a raw way. I remember having that conversation and boiling Jesus down to, of course he was, we we believe that he was God in the flesh and we believe that he is the son of God and we believe that he resurrected from the dead and all of those things. But if we're looking at him in his context, he was a 30 year old Jewish rabbi that frankly was homeless 
and walked around with his friends from town to town and met people and loved people and taught people uh, the ways of Torah and the ways of the Hebrew scriptures. And I can remember, maybe I didn't share that with you, but that's, I didn't share that with you at the moment. But for me, so much of slowing down was rooted in that idea of really a one-to-one ratio of trying to live as Jesus lived. So Marcus and Matt decided to take the slowest form of transportation possible to discover what it's like to live like Jesus. They had no timeline, no agenda, and no real goal other than to take their time going back home. You know, if Jesus um, decided to dwell on earth during a time when, you know, the main mode of transportation was walking, the main mode of communication was face-to-face, then how much were, were we missing in 21st century America living these fast-paced lives um, simply because we weren't willing to slow down and spend the time meeting people face-to-face where they are, not expecting people to come to us, but us going out on the street meeting people. This was an interesting experiment for sure. They told people they were going on this walk in the middle of winter, and people didn't really take them seriously. But Marcus and Matt were sold on this idea. They were going to do this, even though they weren't really sure why exactly they were doing this. The idea was still shrouded in ambiguity, but that didn't stop them. And I can remember the morning that my mom and my stepdad took me and Matt to Richmond and dropped us off in Richmond so that we can walk back. And I remember that morning waking up and my mom crying and not wanting me to go. And that, that was really hard. That was a really hard interaction. But she did it. She, she brought us there. So off they went. But as soon as they stepped out of that car, they found that things weren't how they expected them to be. In our minds, at least in my mind, I had built up this idea of just meeting people at every turn. Well, we didn't realize that New Year's Day is going to be a ghost town, right? Like everyone has been out late the night before and we show up in Richmond. There's nobody on the streets. It's like six <laughs> yeah. in the morning. I remember we're that. like, we're like running up and down the steps of the Capitol building, like Rocky. Um, just like unsure kind of, we knew which direction we needed to head, but we were in real no rush uh, to, to start out. We were just kind of enjoying this time it really was odd we didn't see a single soul for the first um little while but then we as we walked um i remember just any any sort of animosity or fear or confusion about what we were doing was washed away when we um walked by this farmer's market and you would think it'd be closed down for one, it's New Year's Day. For two, it's winter time. So, you know, two reasons why there would be no one at the farmer's market. Well, this guy's there um, selling his produce, knowing that probably uh, nobody will come by for hours, but here we come. And this is the first guy we meet 
um, Tim on our walk. Yeah, and Tim Tim was a he was an interesting guy. I remember he. So keep in mind, it's eight thirty a.m. New Year's Day, Richmond, <laughs> and he's probably like one of two farmers in this farmers market selling produce. And he was the only one for sure. <laughs> yeah, and he he shared his he had a fiance didn't he have like a fiance or like a girlfriend for four she, or five she, years and she died she died oh though that's what he said it, he said that she in died though she it, died it was though. real sad <laughs> yeah that's 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 how he said it um but she, she died while they were engaged and he sh- just shared that story with us two strangers at the time tim was the first person they met and unexpectedly he shares his story with them, and he also tells them something that sets up the rest of their journey. He just out of the blue uh, was telling us some of his life story and said, pulled out from underneath the table a Bible, and he said, you know, I, I might be out here uh, freezing, but I've always got this Bible with me. Like, you know, I, I open it up and read it multiple times a day, he said, because I'm a Christian, and without God, it's hopeless. And that's that line right there, without God, it's hopeless. Marcus and I immediately looked at each other behind the camera and said, this is what it's about. We're going to hear how God has impacted people's lives. Um, And that's exactly what it turned into. Before we hear the rest of the story, let's break to hear a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, Niels Mudre here, and I want to talk to you about a free course being offered at JesusHacks.com. It's called How to Establish a Peaceful Daily Rhythm in a Busy Life. Let's face it, life today is crazy busy, and for some reason, society has this idea that being overly busy is a good thing. But if you look in the Bible, you'll see that we weren't created for the stress and busyness. We were created to have a rhythm to life. What this means is we live out of our beliefs instead of what society demands of us, that we create a necessary space to reflect on character and spirituality, and that we find a fulfilling meaningful life outside of our busyness. If you want this life of rhythm, join my free seven-day course by going to jesushacks.com slash rhythm. It's still the first day of their journey, and Marcus and Matt run into a man by the name of Nico. He appears to have been living on the street, and he explains that he's walking back to a motel. So, Marcus and Matt decide to join him, and this is where another interesting moment happens for them. So, here we are walking with this, you know, practically homeless guy, and he was walking and talking about the importance of loving your brother, um, the importance of 
what it means to love your brother and to do so in sacrifice. Um, what was his line that yeah, I put in the yeah. trailer? Yeah, I'm a guy of one-liners. So, you know, yeah. Tim's one-liner was, without God, it's hopeless. Nico, uh, if this is the one that, that you're referring to, he said, sometimes you got to pull your brother out of the gutter. But every once in a while, you got to get down in the gutter to pull him out. And um, uh, at, and through talking to him, we found out the reason he was on the road that day is he had walked down to the closest grocery store and had as much food as he could carry, bringing it back to the hotel. We assumed it was for himself. Um, it turns out he had kind of pioneered this community and this motel of people that were kind of trying to get on their feet and he was um being really intentional about you know providing meals for people and he, so even in his own um distress he was reaching out trying to help his brother and again it was very apparent the reason he was doing this was because jesus had impacted him in a very personal way and then we was say that- bye to him and right before we leave, because we, wa- we got to the motel and he was ready to leave, he asked to pray for us. <laughs> and he like loved what we were doing. This sort of thing kept happening during their walk. They expect to be talking to people who don't know Jesus. And instead, just about every person they meet is a strong Christian. It was as if by slowing down, God wanted to teach them something through the stories of other Christians. So after this point in the story, I asked them to share some moments of difficulty in the trip, times when they wanted to give up. We brought uh, we brought a camp, we brought a tent with us uh, to sleep outside if we had to. Um, the way that we met people, we organically ha- found places to stay. Or we, we slept at a church one night. Uh, where did we sleep the second night after the church with Pastor Wilson? Um, that was William. That was a uh, Toana. Yeah, Toana Williams yeah, yeah. Street Center. That we did yeah. sleep outside, but we slept outside on a campground by choice that night. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because that's when we tried to make the fire by hand. That was one of our goals for the trip. <laughs> yeah. we, both, we both before the trip, we both thought, "What do you want out of this trip?" And Matt's was to make a fire by hand, and mine was to pet horses. <laughs> I mean, hey, we, we accomplished I, both. <laughs> we accomplished both of those things. I um, bet Jesus did some of that, right? Yeah. Um, but there was one night where we we met somebody at was it Bob? We met we met we met we rode with this guy named Bob who was in charge of this Christian retreat center, and Bob saw on a map where we were going that night. And Bob said, I know a friend who lives in that town. He will gladly host you. So we're like, great. We don't need to, we don't need to plan like where we're going to sleep tonight. So we're walking and Bob, the farewell agreement was that Bob was going to call us later with this guy's details. Bob never calls. So there is some point where we were, the way that the geography was, it was something like we can either stay here in civilization, um, like close to cities. Or the next, like, 20 miles is going to be, like, farmland. And, but in order to get to Bob's friend, Bob's friend lives in the farmland. But we hadn't heard back from Bob at the time. And so we were in the predicament of, 
wanting to deciding whether or not to push forward, knowing that we very well could be in the middle of nowhere. And that night was supposed to be the coldest night of the trip. Yes, I think it was no. supposed to get, yeah, they were calling for snow, five degrees, 10 degrees. And in the middle of a field, like sleeping, we did not want that to happen. We decided to push forward without hearing from Bob and just hope that he calls. And we had to catch a ferry across the river that night, uh, the ferry into Suffolk, Virginia. I don't know if you know Suffolk, Virginia, but we were going to catch a ferry across and we're walking. We were worried that we were going to miss the ferry. That's the, that was the impetus for having to go forward because we didn't know if we were going to miss the ferry. That's what uh. it was. Yeah. And we finally get to the ferry bridge and the sun is setting and you can already feel the temperature dropping quick with the sun setting. It's, it's in the middle of January. It's January yeah, 2nd Yeah, keep in mind, it's like 4.30 getting dark. So Yeah, we're worry. already freaking out. Um, and being on the bridge, not having heard back from Bob, we never, just to cut to the end of the story, we never did hear back from Bob, ever. I don't know, maybe in like the next day or something, but... We were realizing that we were about to get on this ferry and go across to Suffolk farmland with no place to stay. And we were probably going to look at a cold night. We were talking about, do we need to call our family to come pick us up? Um, do we need to call somebody that we know who lives close and they come pick us up? Um, do we end the night? Do we end the walk with this night? We had that conversation. And we decided to come together. And on that bridge, as the sunset on water, and we were freezing because it was like water everywhere. And we decided to pray for a place to stay that night. That was like our last ditch effort. And I can remember in that prayer, admitting a lot of fear to God. I can remember admitting a lot of hurt and a lot of, uh, I was throwing in the towel with, for all, all things considered. Um, but asking him if, if your will is for us to keep going. And if you want us to, uh, if you want to give us a place to sleep tonight, like I ask that you do that now. And it was either in the middle of the prayer or right as we ended the prayer. This guy throws open his door and invites us to to get out of the cold temperatures and to sit in his car, at least until the ferry came. So we're like, yeah, we're, this this is a, a vehicle ferry, by the way. So there's yeah. cars. We're at the very end of the uh, the <laughs> yeah. the point or wherever the ferry picks up, um, standing there looking out over this you know very wide river. You can hardly see the other side. And there's probably 20, 30 cars lined up behind us. Yeah, I remember walking through the cars. Yeah, like, what are these guys doing? Um, (laughs) Just standing here with book bags. Yeah, hiking packs. It was was this guy in a truck, probably three or four cars back. Um, And we hardly even heard him at first because the wind Mm -hmm. was blowing so hard. and we we were literally frozen to the bone at this point. I mean, um, it, it was rough. And he uh, finally got, gets our attention. And we hop in his truck with heat. And, uh, yeah. and his wife was in the car, I think, at the time. Yeah. 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 And the, she, she was the one that was so concerned about us, um, why he offered. And then come to find out, um, he hooks us up. So this man refers Marcus and Matt 
to the owners of this Boy Scout camp. <laughs> and literally 30 minutes after they prayed this prayer, they are in warm bunk beds at this camp. The guy who lives here, uh, he was A, well into his 80s. Um, very old, and his wife is well into her 80s. But we're in this room, and he drops us off in this room, and we lay out our sleeping bags, and we realize that there are maybe 400 or 500 turtle statues, or like little turtle figurines, like all over the place. Remember this? <laughs> figurines, pictures, <laughs> yeah. paintings, turtles, lamps, <laughs> like coffee table books of turtles, yeah. uh, full size. Uh, statues. I think he, there was even a couple like stuffed turtles. This guy, we never figured it out. We, hey, when you love it. turtles, you know. Yeah. Um, but he he ends up saying like, "You guys get situated and come up to our house when you're done." And they lived on the property. After this story of answered prayer, Matt explains to me a discouraging moment he felt along the way. We went into this um, on paper. We had mapped out our destination every night, how far we were going to get. We totally overestimated how far we could walk in one day. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so I remember the first day um, also having packed probably way too much. Yep. Um, just being exhausted. Like, I didn't, I didn't think I could keep going. I had... I could feel blisters on both of my feet. Um, and we had to keep pushing ourselves because, for one, it was getting dark. For two, this was the one night that we had like a firm place to stay. We had lined up um, with this pastor to stay at his church. So we knew we had to get to that church. And like sleeping in the youth room or something. Yeah. And it, I remember um, it was twenty. It was a 20-mile walk the first day, but we had mapped out. And at about three thirty, when it's you can already tell, like sun's about to start setting. Um, we had walked only twelve, I think. Yeah, and sucked. we all of a sudden realized we weren't going to make it before dark. And um, we had had these two really cool interactions. Tim was the first day. Nico was the first day. But then we hadn't really seen anyone in a while. Um, we got free dinner that night from that. From... Yeah, yeah. So we end up, we finally walk to, we just keep walking, pushing ourselves. Um, and we get to this barbecue place and ask how far the church is. And I, I don't know if they could tell that we were, you know, in a potentially a tight spot or what. I think we smelled they, that as well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And just looked, you know, rough. They, I, think they thought we were homeless probably um so they offer us a free meal like the biggest plate of barbecue and green beans and cornbread um just like this fantastic meal at the end of a cold exhausting day Amazing. Um, yeah but I, I remember being um it was on the other side of this hill i remember being um at the bottom of the hill before crossing over and seeing this little bit of civilization um, just being so discouraged and like stopping and thinking, why are we doing this? My feet are frozen. Like 
It wasn't just that the blisters hurt to walk, but your feet are so cold that every step like sends a sharp pain up your leg because you know you're hitting the pavement with like 40, 50 pounds on your back. And uh, I just said, you know, Lord, I, I'm discouraged right now, but I know, you know, I know this is still what we're supposed to be doing. So I just made myself climb that hill. I think Marcus was like a good ways ahead of me. After they cross that hill and walk along the side of a bridge with their feet aching and their bodies freezing, a cop car pulls up. Turns out, it's a cop who offers to give them a ride the rest of the way to the church. And so we get dropped off in the church parking lot in the back of a cop car <laughs> just as a small group is letting out. So, like, the, <laughs> yeah, pastor, <laughs> the pastor knows we're coming, but nobody else does. Um, so <laughs> there's all these people, like, looking at these rough-looking dudes getting out of a cop car. Um, but, yeah, so that that was a big, you know, dark moment for me that quickly turned to light. Um, and that was a huge takeaway from the walk for me, was that at every turn you're going to have trial and tribulation but, you know, with prayer and with the work of the Holy Spirit, it can be flipped and redeemed. And there were so many moments like that where I was ready to give up and here comes a plate of barbecue. Or, you know, we're ready to give up at the end of the bridge and here comes a guy giving us a ride to this warm um, camp. Marcus and Matt arrived at the sixth day of their journey with stories upon stories of God working in people's lives and God positioning other Christians to take care of them. So as the end drew near, they felt victorious, fearless even. But towards the end, you know, like there was so many stories and so many people that we had met and Christ had shown himself over and over and over and over again that there really was nothing that we couldn't do at that point. And it switched from, I don't think we can do this, to maybe we can do this if we just keep pushing through, to oh yeah, we're definitely going to do this. And this is clearly in God's hands. I can remember feeling that way. Yeah, so I guess as we started to wrap up and get closer, I was like almost a little bit sad because I wanted to keep going. Like just Mm -hmm. so many cool things were happening and, and we were being ministered to in so many different ways. And I could tell um, <clears throat> that we had grown so much. Um, I just wanted to keep it going. Now, they had only told me about 2% of the trip and all that God had done. And I was sitting there feeling as if I wanted to do something like that. I wanted to slow down and experience God in this tangible way like they did. I asked them to share some of their reflections of slowing down like this. Often, I think God speaks most when we're willing to slow down. Um, I, you know, I was thinking about this in preparation for the interview, um, whether it was calling his first disciples or meeting the woman at the well or calling Zacchaeus down from the tree. Um, those were all moments when he was slowing down and and meeting people. And what you find is that people are looking for him. 
you know, in all those instances, they were, they were looking and it was their faith that healed them. And that's what we were, you know, seeing firsthand on this walk was everyone we were meeting. Not only did they have a story, but they, you know, were looking for God in their lives and they were willing to share how God had impacted them, how Jesus had changed their lives. And, um, you know, when you make yourself available by slowing down in that way, the possibilities we discovered are pretty endless. People aren't, we're not given in in the day-to-day American life, like not, we're not given the opportunity to be heard a lot of times. And so I think a lot of we miss out on a lot of opportunities where we can give somebody the gift of our ears and give somebody the gift of our time. And we had no agenda on this trip but to do that. I have taken that, that I what I've learned from my walk and just try to incorporate it in my life, that there is really nothing stopping us from stopping and talking to the stranger or trying to get into the stranger's life a little bit more and give them a place where they can share themselves with other people. Marcus was right. By living these fast-paced lives, We miss out on people sharing their stories, people being human and real with us. We don't notice that beauty because we're too busy or moving too fast. But Marcus and Matt's story showed me that if I really want to live like Jesus, I have to make myself available by slowing down. And when I slow down, I'm positive I'll feel the death and wonder that God intends for us all to experience. For companion materials and show notes to this episode, visit JesusHacks.com. Thanks for listening.